Section 33 of Dangerous Connections This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coudalot de la Clos Section 33, Letters 161 to 165 Letter the 161st The Présidente de Tourvel to Dictated by her and written by her waiting maid Cruel and wicked being, will you never cease to persecute me? Does it not suffice you to have tortured, degraded, vilified me? Would you ravish from me even the peace of the grave? What, in this abode of shadow where ignominy has forced me to bury myself, are my sorrows to be without cessation? Is hope to be unknown? I do not implore for mercy, which I do not deserve. To suffer without complaining, I shall be content if my sufferings do not exceed my strength. But do not render my torments unbearable. In leaving me my sorrow, take away from me the cruel memory of the good I have lost. When you have ravished it from me, trace no more before my eyes its desolating image. I was innocent and at peace. Because I saw you, I lost my repose. By listening to you, I became criminal. Author of my faults, what right have you to punish them? Where are the friends who cherished me? Where are they? My misfortune has terrified them. None dares come near me. I am borne down, and they leave me without succour. I am dying, and no one weeps over me. All consolation is refused me. Pity stops short on the brink of the abyss into which the guilty one is plunged. She is torn by remorse, and her cries are not heeded. And you, whom I have outraged, you whose esteem adds to my punishment, you who alone would have the right to avenge yourself on me, what are you doing far away from me? Come and punish an unfaithful wife. Let me suffer at last the torments I have deserved. I should have already submitted to your vengeance, but the courage failed me to tell you of your shame. It was not dissimulation, it was respect. Let this letter at least tell you of my repentance. Heaven has taken your part, it avenges you for a wrong you do not know. Tis heaven which has tied my tongue and retained my words. It feared lest you should remit a fault which it wished to punish. It has withdrawn me from your indulgence, which would have infringed its justice. Pitiless in its vengeance, it has abandoned me to the very one who ruined me. It is at once for him and through him that I suffer. I seek to flee him in vain. He follows me. He is there. He assails me unceasingly. But how different he is from himself! His eyes express naught but hatred and contempt. His lips proffer only insults and reproach. His arms are only thrown round me to destroy me. Who will save me from his barbarous fury? But what? It is he. I am not mistaken. It is he whom I see once more. Oh, my beloved, take me in your arms, hide me in your bosom. Yes, it is you. It is indeed you. What dread illusion made me misunderstand you? How I have suffered in your absence! Let us part no more. Let us never part again. Let me breathe. Feel my heart, how it throbs. 
Ah, oh, it is with fear no longer, it is the soft emotion of love. Why do you turn away from my tender caresses? Cast your sweet glance upon me. What are those bonds you were trying to break? Why are you getting ready those preparations for death? What can change your features thus? What are you doing? Leave me. I shudder. God, it is that monster again. My friends, do not desert me. You who urged me to fly from him, help me to struggle against him. And you, more indulgent, who promised me a diminution of my pains, come to my side. Where have you both gone? If I am not allowed to see you again, at least answer this letter. Let me know that you still love me. Leave me, then, cruel one. What fresh fury seizes you? Do you fear lest any gentle sentiment should penetrate my soul? You redouble my torments, you force me to hate you. Oh, what a grievous thing is hatred! How it corrodes the heart which distills it! Why do you persecute me? What more can you have to say to me? Have you not made it as impossible for me to listen to you as to answer you? Expect nothing more of me. Monsieur, farewell. Paris, 5th December, 17, blank. Letter the hundred and sixty-second. The Chevalier d'Ancenis to the Vicomte de Valmont. I am acquainted, monsieur, with your behaviour to me. I know also that, not content with having unworthily tricked me, you have not feared to vaunt and applaud yourself for it. I have seen the proof of your treachery written in your own hand. I confess that my heart was sick, and that I felt a certain shame at having assisted somewhat myself at the odious abuse you have made of my blind confidence. I do not, however, envy you this shameful advantage. I am only curious to learn whether you will preserve them all alike over me. I shall know this if, as I hope, you will be ready to meet me to-morrow, between eight and nine o'clock in the morning, at the entrance to the Bois de Vincennes by the village of saint Mande. I will be careful to have there all that is necessary for the explanations which I still have to obtain from you. The Chevalier d'Ancenis, Paris, 6th of December, in 17, in the evening. Letter the 163rd, Monsieur Bertrand, to Madame de Rosemonde. Madame, it is with great regret that I undertake the sad task of announcing to you news which will cause you such cruel sorrow. Allow me, first, to recommend to you that pious resignation which we have all so much admired in you, and which alone enables us to support the ills with which our wretched life is strewn. Your nephew, gracious heaven, must I afflict so greatly so venerable a lady? Your nephew has had the misfortune to fall in a remarkable duel which he had this morning with Monsieur Le Chevalier d'Ancenay. I am entirely ignorant of the motive of this quarrel, but it appears, from the missive which I found still in the pocket of Monsieur Le Vicomte, and which I had the honor to forward you, it appears, I say, that he was not the aggressor. Yet it needs must be he whom heaven allowed to fall. I had been to wait upon Monsieur Le Vicomte precisely at the hour when he was brought back to the hotel, Imagine my terror when I saw your nephew carried by two of his servants and bathed in his blood. He had two sword thrusts through his body and was already very weak. 
Monsieur Dunsinet was there also, and even he wept. Ah, certainly he has reason to weep. But it is a fine time to shed tears when one has caused an irreparable misfortune. As for me, I could not contain myself, and in spite of my humble condition, I nonetheless told him my fashion of thinking. But it was then that Monsieur Vicomte showed himself truly great. He ordered me to be silent, and taking the hand of the very man who was his murderer, he called him his friend, embraced him before us all, and said to us, I command you to treat Monsieur with all the consideration that is due to a brave and gallant man. He further caused him to be presented, in my presence, with a voluminous mass of papers, the contents of which I am not acquainted with, but to which I am well aware he attached vast importance. He then desired that we should leave them alone together for a moment. Meanwhile, I had sent in search of every kind of succor, both spiritual and temporal. But alas, the ill was incurable. Less than half an hour later, Monsieur le Vicomte lost consciousness. He was only able to receive extreme unction, and the ceremony was hardly over when he rendered his last breath. Great God! What I received in my arms at his birth, this precious prop of so illustrious a house, how little did I foresee that it was to be in my arms that he would expire, and that I should have to weep for his death. A death so premature and so unfortunate. My tears flow in spite of myself. I ask your pardon, madame, for thus daring to mingle my grief with your own. But in every condition we have hearts and sensibility, and I should be ungrateful indeed if I did not weep all my life for a lord who showed me so much kindness and honored me with so great confidence. Tomorrow, after the removal of the body, I will have the seals placed on everything, and you can depend entirely on my care. You will be aware, madame, that this unhappy event cuts off the entail, and leaves the disposition of your property entirely free. If I can be of any use to you, I beg you to be good enough to convey to me your wishes. I will employ all my zeal in their punctual fulfillment. I remain, with the most profound respect, madame, your most humble, etc. Bertrand, Paris, 7th December, 17. Letter the 164th, Madame de Rosemonde to Monsieur Bertrand. I have this moment received your letter, my dear Bertrand, and learn from it the fearful event of which my nephew has been the unhappy victim. Yes, I shall doubtless have orders to give you and it is only on account of them that I can occupy myself with anything else than my mortal affliction. The letter of Monsieur d'Arsigny, which you have sent me, is a very convincing proof that it was he who provoked the duel, and it is my intention that you should immediately lodge a complaint, and in my name. My nephew may have satisfied his natural generosity in pardoning his enemy and murderer, but it is my duty to avenge at the same time his death humanity, and religion. One cannot be too eager to invoke the severity of the law against this remnant of barbarism, and I do not believe that this is a case in which we are required to pardon injuries. I expect you, then, to pursue this matter with all the zeal and activity of which I know you to be capable, and which you owe to my nephew's memory. 
you will be sure before all to see monsieur le président de on my behalf and confer with him on the subject i have not written to him eager as i am to be left quite alone with my sorrow you will convey him my excuses and communicate this letter to him adieu my dear bertrand i praise and thank you for your kind sentiments and am for life entirely yours at the chateau de eighth december seventeen letter the hundred and sixty fifth madame de volanges to madame de rosemonde i know you are already acquainted my dear and revered friend with the loss you have just sustained i knew your affection for m de valmont and i participate most sincerely in the affliction which you must feel i am truly grieved to have to add a fresh regret to those which are trying you already but alas you have only your tears now to bestow upon our unhappy friend we lost her yesterday at eleven o'clock at night by a fatality which attended her lot and which seemed to make a mock of all human prudence the short interval by which she survived m de valmont sufficed to inform her of his death and as she herself said to enable her not to succumb beneath the weight of her misfortunes until the measure of them was full you are aware of course that for more than two days she was absolutely without consciousness and even yesterday morning when her physician arrived and we approached her bedside she recognized neither of us and we could not extract the least word or sign from her well hardly had we returned to the chimney and the physician was relating to me the sad episode of m de valmont's death when the unfortunate woman recovered her reason whether that nature alone had produced this revolution or that it was caused by the repetition of the words m de valmont and death which may have brought back to the patient the only ideas which have occupied her for a long time however that may be she hurriedly threw back the curtains of her bed crying out what what are you saying monsieur de valmont is dead i hoped to make her believe that she was mistaken and at first assured her that she had heard wrong but far from letting herself be persuaded she required the physician to repeat the cruel story and upon my endeavouring again to dissuade her she called me and whispered why wish to deceive me was he not already dead to me it was necessary therefore to yield our unhappy friend listened at first with a fairly tranquil air but soon afterwards she interrupted the story saying enough i know enough she asked at once for her curtains to be closed and when the physician subsequently tried to busy himself with the care of her condition she never would have him near her as soon as he had left she similarly dismissed her nurse and waiting-maid and when we were left alone she begged me to help her to kneel down upon her bed and support her so there she stayed for some time in silence and with no other expression than that which was given by her tears which flowed copiously at last clasping her hands and raising them to heaven almighty god said she in a weak but fervent voice i submit myself to thy justice but forgive valmont 
let not my misfortunes, which I admit are deserved, be a cause of reproach to him, and I will bless thy mercy. I have permitted myself, my dear and respected friend, to enter into these details on a subject which I am well aware must renew and aggravate your grief, because I have no doubt that that prayer of Madame de Tourvel's will, nevertheless, be a great consolation to your soul. After our friend had uttered these brief words, she fell back in my arms, and she was hardly replaced in her bed when she was overcome by weakness, which lasted long, but which gave way to the ordinary remedies. As soon as she had regained consciousness, she asked me to send for the Père Anselme, and added, "'He is now the only physician whom I need. I feel that my ills will soon be ended.' She complained much of oppression, and spoke with difficulty. A short time afterwards, she handed me, through her waiting-maid, a casket which I am sending to you, which she tells me contains papers of hers, and which she charged me to convey to you immediately after her death. Note, this casket contained all the letters relating to her adventure with Monsieur de Valmont. She next spoke to me of you, and of your friendship for her, so far as her situation permitted, and with much emotion. The Père Anselme arrived about four o'clock, and remained alone with her for nearly an hour. When we returned, the face of the sick woman was calm and serene, but it was easy to see that the Père Anselme had shed many tears. He remained to assist at the last ceremonies of the church. This spectacle, always so imposing and so sorrowful, was rendered even more so by the contrast which the tranquil resignation of the sufferer formed with the profound grief of her venerable confessor, who burst into tears at her side. The emotion became general, and she, for whom everybody wept, was the only one not to weep. The remainder of the day was spent in the customary prayers, which were only interrupted by the sufferer's frequent fits of weakness. At last, at about eleven o'clock at night, she appeared to be more oppressed and to suffer more. I put out my hand to seek her arm. She had still strength enough to take it, and she placed it upon her heart. I could no longer discern any movement, and, indeed, at that very moment, our unfortunate friend expired. You will remember, my dear friend, that, on your last visit here, not a year ago, when we talked together of certain persons whose happiness seemed to us more or less assured, we dwelt complacently upon the lot of this very woman, whose misfortunes and whose death we lament to-day. So many virtues, laudable qualities and attractions, a character so sweet and easy, a husband whom she loved, and by whom she was adored, a society which pleased her, and of which she was the delight, a face, youth, fortune, so many combined advantages lost through a single imprudence. O oh, Providence, doubtless we must worship thy decrees, but how incomprehensible they are! I stop myself, I fear to add to your sorrow by indulging my own. I leave you to return to my daughter, who is a little indisposed. 
when she heard from me this morning of so sudden a death of two persons of her acquaintance, she was taken ill, and I had her sent to bed. I hope, however, that this slight indisposition will have no ill results. At her age, one is not yet habituated to sorrow, and its impression is keener and more potent. Such sensibility is, doubtless, a praiseworthy quality. But how greatly does all that we daily see teach us to dread it! Adieu, my dear and venerable friend. Paris, 9th of December, 1700 End of section 33